0: You found the world's most dangerous podcast Where an MMA heavyweight world champion fighter Mixes things up with A hot shot entrepreneur The only successful substitute for brains Ankle locks Meet your co-hosts Serial entrepreneur Des W. Woodruff and UFC Hall of Famer and the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock.
1: Hey, we're back. This is the world's most dangerous podcast. My name's Des W. Woodruff. and I'm here with my co-host, Ken Shamrock. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, and
2: hey, listen, I know it's been a while since we've been able to get out here and speak on a podcast. Been busy, but man, here we are. We're ready to do another one. We're going to talk about some great things and some guys that are just starting out there, man. I'm drop some nuggets for you.
1: We are going to do that. Man, I'll tell you, it has been crazy busy. We've been doing a lot of stuff. You've been traveling quite a bit, doing appearances, and man, we have a big one coming up, my friend. You're going to be in Canada.
2: Yeah, that's going to be awesome. You know, if you, it's funny, Jeff, we just talking about it earlier when we were looking at our schedule. And from, from this point, May, the mid-May, all the way till, um, August 1st. And probably even after that, but as we right now, man, we're going to be busy, busy, busy. So exciting times. We have our podcast. We want to share it with our fans out there so you guys can follow us. And, and, uh, and even on our website, Kinshammer.com, check that out. Podcast. So we're going to show a lot of stuff on Instagram. All the stuff that we got going on, we're ramping up. So you guys jump on board, man, and enjoy the
1: trips. You can get the latest on where Ken will be located at kenshamrock.com. But definitely follow us on social media. Um, if you're on Twitter, it's Sham- at shamrockken, at shamrockken. Or you can find us on Facebook at Ken Shamrock Official, And same thing for Instagram. So social media, we'll keep you up to date with the latest. But you're, you're going to be doing a tour in Canada so you're going to be making a lot of stops you'll be there for half the month the first two weeks in June for all you Canadians up there be looking for where Ken will be next it's like where's Waldo yeah
2: you know (laughs) what while we do that too I want to make sure I give a shout out to JT my bro in Canada man Guy that's really been doing a lot. Give me a shout out to him and look forward to seeing him. Maybe go have some dinner with him and his buddies, man, enjoying some time together, man. Shout out to JT from Canada.
1: Yeah, JT Walsh. Look him up. If you don't know him, you can find him. All right. Well, oh, so we had a question come in, Ken, from one of the fans. And, and I am going to kind of go off of recollection here, and you can correct me where I might be wrong. But something tells me nowadays my memory might be better than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well I'm not gonna argue that. (laughs) Well
2: yeah sometimes hey, listen, sometimes it's probably on purpose, especially when I've got honeydews to do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Honey do this, how do you do this, honeydew that I forgot.
1: (laughs) Well that could be dangerous. True that. (laughs) True that. Oh, especially with your wife, man. I can imagine she could. uh, She holds her own. Hey, listen, man. When you
2: have a strong-minded, strong person like myself, personality, you got to have a wife that'll be able to stand up to it.
1: Yeah, match it. Well, the fan question came up, and it was something like, "Ken, you know, how is it that you were able to rise?" above your other colleagues in the professional market to to take your steps to find stardom. How close am I?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
2: that's pretty, that's, that's pretty close. And, and to answer that, when I was a kid, a lot of people know my story, right? I mean, I got a book coming out that's going to dig deep and it's going to talk about a lot of stuff. But, but just a lot of things I've just talked about being in a group home, some of the struggles I had breaking my neck. You know, living in a car, you know, kid um, losing parents early on. Uh, You know, all those things that happened to me, even as I got older, going through uh, parents divorcing, the ones that adopted me, getting divorced, struggling, not knowing whether or not I was going to be sent back to juvenile hall, breaking my neck in high school and losing scholarships or opportunities to go play football and wrestle at schools. It was all, and that's that's what drove me to get good grades because I could play sports if I had good grades. And that's what, what my identity was, and to see that almost disappear on me. You have to understand the personality or the character that goes with that. It's one that doesn't allow adversity to bring you down. You look at it and you say, okay, this happened. You understand it happened, understand what it is, And then you move forward with knowing and understanding what it is you're dealing with. Not being stupid, obviously, but knowing what it is you're dealing with and and going forward and and setting things aside and setting things in place to help you get past that adversity, no matter what it is. I think as a fighter, I brought a lot of that character with me. I remember stepping in the ring my first time in Japan, fighting in front of 17,000 people and I won my first match, and I remember thinking to myself, "Like this is this is awesome. This is like wow." They were chanting my name. Could I couldn't hardly understand them, but um, they were chanting my name. And and Sammy Saranaka came over to me and said, "Hey, they're chanting your name." And I was like, "Oh, that's what that is." <laughs> I couldn't understand what it was. And uh, and I remember sitting with kneeling down, um, rubbing my head because I got kicked in the head a few times. And I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is it. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what I want. And I remember from that point on, I thought to myself, I got to be in the gym. I got to be training. I've got to be uh, working uh, my body in the diet wise, making sure I'm eating the right foods and getting the right training. And I remember trying to put the team together because in, in the States, there was nothing like that. So there was another adversity. So I had to work through those obstacles. And I remember thinking, uh, figuring out, trying to figure out a way because I didn't have enough people that were skilled enough to really help me work out hard. So I came up with other ideas, right? Uh, This is the things that I'm talking about, having that character to win, to always find ways to win, even when things are in front of you look like there's no way you can win because there's not enough tools in front of you. You have to create different tools. So I said, you know what, let me see if I can't Cause I was going every month, so I said, let me, let me talk to you, see if I can stay for a month. And I was married at this time, and I even had some kids at this time. I didn't have all my kids yet, but I had some kids at this time, so there were some sacrifices that had to be made. And so I remember saying, I want to stay for a month, and then I'll fly back home after the fight and stay home for a month, and then fly back again and stay for a month. Now, understand that this was a big sacrifice. Really big sacrifice. Huge. But I realized that if I was ever going to be successful, that I needed to make the sacrifice because I could never get the training I need to be able to compete with these guys. And I remember thinking to myself when I was in the gym at the dojo and I was training and I was getting schooled because everybody knew all this stuff and I was tough. You know, I was able to really handle myself and, and get through a lot of tough situations because coming from the streets, you know, so I had to learn all these different things skills and stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, probably, you know, six months in, I was saying to myself, I'm going to be the best. I am going to work out harder, smarter, and longer than anybody else. I am going to be the best. And I remember that mindset going in there. And I was at the bottom of the food chain. And I remembered probably a year into this thing, I was the world champion. Now I want you to think about it from the start, the middle in the beginning. The things I learned at those times was one, okay, starting out, you got to open your ears, close your mouth, and open your eyes. And that's the way you learn. They tell you to do something, you do it, you jump, you do it. Respect, respecting the people teaching you, respect the gym, respect the guys that are going in there and working with you, respect the cooks, respect the guys cleaning the toilets, respect everyone, because that's how you're gonna get the best help People are going to reach out to you and want to help you because of the respect that you show towards other people. If you win a fight, you respect the opponent that you beat because everything that you do when you're starting out, people are watching. And the more respectful you are and the more that you show respect, the more people want to help you move up the food chain. If you're a jerk, there's a lot more people want to see you fail. Now, the reverse happens no matter how nice you are. When you finally reach the top and you're that good, people want to see you lose. Even fans at times when you go 10-0 and 0 or 14-0, and 0, they're waiting for you to lose. They don't necessarily have to hate you, but they just want to see you lose. Why? I think people want to see somebody fall to see the reaction on how they're going to recover from that. Yeah, it's easy to go undefeated, but once you get beat, it's not that easy to recover from that because now people have figured you out. Now, how do you adjust to that? How do you return it? Now, that's the middle phase, the middle phase about being successful and moving up the food chain. And all of a sudden you're 5-0 and or 8-0 and and someone catches you and you fall. Now everybody starts to figure out a way to beat you. Can you adjust Can you change your game and become better and stronger at what you're doing, but change the way you do it? That's where a lot of people, when they're in that intermediate area, that fall, because once they get beat, they don't understand they have to change their game. They keep doing the same thing, thinking it was luck, and they'll just go back out and do it again. And then the same thing happens to them in the next fight. Now there's two losses in a row. Now all of a sudden their mental psyche is getting messed with. Now they don't have confidence anymore, and they Mm -hmm. fail. And I don't mean to bring up her name, but it's the most clear and and, and I think everybody remembers this because it was, wasn't long ago it was Ronda Rousey. The minute she got beat, she crumbled. She crumbled and she wasn't the same fighter. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the middle part when I'm talking to all these fighters out there that are becoming uh, pros and they're in that middle area where they're winning. And they may even be champion. It's still the middle area, right? You still haven't succeeded onto that next point, which is being a champion, a former champion, and a champion again. Now, that's when you reach the top. That's when you cement you, you your legacy as a professional fighter and a world champion, is to repeat when you lose. I mean, you look, if you look at a lot of guys who have been very strong and very successful in a lot of different ways and they lose for the first time, there's a a huge percentage of them that never recover because people figured them out. They were so dominant for so long and they figured it out and they can't change what they've done for so long. Now, the sign of a true champion is being able to change what you do
1: and still be able to win and
2: still be able to be great.
1: That. The information that you're sharing there is absolute gold. I had to keep myself from interrupting because I didn't want any of that to be, (laughs) I didn't want you to get sidetracked because that, that information, anybody in any sport and in any business can take what you just said to the bank to help them reach their full potential.
2: Well, and when you said that, Des, it, it it resonates with me because that's where I'm at right now. You said in any sport or any business. Now, business is the same way. You know this, Des. It is the person that goes out and is successful, but then he hits a, a government comes in and audits them, or 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 they lose a job, or or someone gets promoted ahead of them. How do you deal with adversity? Do you get angry and you want revenge? Do you just do you quit and go get another job or do you look at it and go, congratulations, man, shake their hand like you were an opponent when you get beat, right? Hey, good job. You beat mm-hmm. me. Go back to the drawing board, figure out how they beat you. And then don't let it happen again, get better from what your weaknesses are. And this is perfect, perfectly for what I'm going through right now with business. Understanding the things I don't know, understanding some of the, the things I didn't understand moving forward and watching these things play out and being able to educate myself so that it doesn't happen
1: again. The thing that I love there was find out how they beat you and don't let it happen again. Mm. Booyah! (laughs) That's a nugget. There's a nugget. Now, um, Ken, I was at the Young Entrepreneur. We were keynote speakers a few years ago at their inaugural event. And we were on stage with Kevin Harrington, one of the original Shark Tank investors, and also Jeff Hoffman, which was the founder of Priceline, and also the inventor of the kiosk for our... Anytime we go on fly, we go to the kiosk to get our ticket (laughs) from a machine. Uh, He developed those. But... We were on stage with some impressive individuals. And just here recently, I went back to Young Entrepreneur, you were busy, and but so I went with my family and heard some great speakers, one of which, his name's James Whitaker. Not a lot of people know his name yet, but he's part of the Think and Grow Rich legacy. There's a book by Napoleon Hill called I Think and Grow Rich. It was written many moons ago. But it's one of those books in the business world that everybody reads. He did something that I really appreciate. It's hard for me to read a book all the way through. I'll get halfway, there's a bookmark stuck there, and my mind will go to another one, then I'll get into another book. (laughs) So I've got a whole library of books with bookmarks right in the middle of the book. So what I've been doing to get through all the books that I can get through is I look for people to summarize them. So... I've been doing audible.com where people will basically read a book to me. But instead of the whole book, I'll get the summaries of it. Just give me the key things. And now what I've been doing, Ken, is going and finding people who not only do the summary readings, but somebody who has outlined them. So I'll print out the outline highlight the things that I'm interested in and then uh, go back and, anyway, read the book in the areas that I feel like I need more information on. But the point I want to bring up here is this guy, this James dude, he did a seminar and his seminar was the five big points out of the Think and Grow Rich book. And he summarized it for us. He goes, here are the big five takeaways that Napoleon Hill says to don't screw up. Now, what I want to do here with you, Ken, is I'm going to read off these five, and I'll let you pick who goes first. I'm going to read off one of each of these five truths, okay? These lessons that we should learn, and we're going to speak to it. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first on these? No, go ahead. You go. Okay. Number one. So write this down, people. <laughs> this is good stuff. Number one lesson is this. Get clear On what you want now to me what that means Ken is vision if you don't have a vision of where you're going if you don't have a clear crystal clear vision of where you're heading your chances of getting there are almost zero so you have to be clear on what you want and what do you say Ken
2: well you know if I'm if I'm thinking in the world that I basically made my career in I think you have to when you walk into training Uh, When you walk into the ring to fight, you have to be clear. You've got to be clear minded. You've got to have a direction on where you're going. What is, what is it that you're doing? You're going into a fight with who, what their strengths, what their weaknesses are, understand the information you have, go into training and work hard at the things you need to work at in order to beat this guy. When you step into that cage or arena, can't think about whether or not your kids are, are doing this or doing that or your wife's doing this or doing that or any of your friends or this and that. You cannot allow anything to get into your thought process because at what you have in front of you, you have to be completely focused and clear-minded on what you're doing and where you're going.
1: That's good stuff. Number two, create a bulletproof plan. In business, there's a thing called the business plan. <laughs> and You have long business plans or you have short business plans. I'm from the camp that a one-page business plan is all you truly need because once you get into a business, once you get into an endeavor, once you get into a big project, all the parts are ever moving. They're always changing and you have to adapt. But here's the bottom line. In business and in life, you have to have a plan. Not only do you have to have a vision, you have to have a plan on getting there. The reason they say bulletproof plan, meaning that you look for all the weaknesses first. You put a plan together that doesn't have loose ends, have it buttoned up. So at least you know you have a system in place or a recipe to follow. And you say, Ken? Well, I'm saying this.
2: Understand if you could really look at this and see how. The planning and the setups and the training, it's all almost the same as going into whatever you're doing in your own world. My world that we do, although it's a little bit more physical, but the planning and, and the training and all that stuff is almost the same thing. When you talk about a bulletproof plan, what you do is you're going in, say you're going into a title fight and you, you're, you, you're looking at an opponent you're going to fight. Well, you have to study your opponent you have to understand what his strength and his weaknesses are. Say he's got a powerful right hand and he's got a, left, a pretty good left hook and that he's got good defense, a good defense to a takedown. His ground game and his guard position is maybe not so strong, but if he's got a good defense to a, to a takedown, then that means that it's a little bit more difficult to take him down. So now you've got to go, okay, now I've got to punch with the guy because I've got to get him to start throwing punches in order for me to be able to shoot on him and get him to the ground to where I could start working against his weaknesses. Now, some people would go in there if they didn't have the right training and they would say, well, we're going to take him down. He's a strong puncher. He's got a good defense to a takedown." but we got to force that to happen. We've got to set it up so we can shoot in and get him down. Instead of really looking at it and going, you know, let's break this down. What is the simplest way to be able to take him down? Don't just go, well, go in there and take him down because you're strong at taking him down. Just go in and take him down, but there's no game plan. You didn't plan for it. So, In order to have that bulletproof plan, you have to say, okay, how do we make it simple for us to get him? Even though we know he's got a good defense to take down, he's a strong puncher, but we need to be able to set that shot up so it's not going to be more difficult for you to get him down. Yeah, you may be able to force a takedown, but what if he gets back up? Now you're going to get tired in the first round because you shot on him three times, you couldn't get him down. So how do we make this a bulletproof plan? Okay, here we go. Let's engage him. Let's Let's start throwing punches with him. Make him engage with striking, throwing punches. Now that opens the takedown up to be a little bit simpler to shoot on because he's not expecting the shot. To me, that's the same thing that you go into a business plan with is you don't just go in head on and you start butting heads with people. You understand their strengths, understand their weaknesses, understand what kind of plan is in front of you, and be able to attack those things and corner them and back them into a corner when they don't even know it and being able to not make it difficult. Don't, like in a business thing, what you don't want to do is back them into a corner and they come out swinging. Back them into a corner and they don't know they're there. They don't know they're in the corner. And to me, that's what I've learned from fighting and the setup's fighting and making a bulletproof plan in fighting. And business is, is, is like, even in fighting, you don't go in aggressively trying to take somebody down because now you're, you're basically making it an aggressive fight where it's like you against him. Who's going to win, striking or takedown? Instead of going, listen, let me engage him. Let me trick him. Let me get him thinking about punching, and then I drop and shoot. It's deceit. It's a deception of the, of the striking. It's not really what you're going to do, but he doesn't know that. Even in business, it's the same thing where you back somebody in the corner, but he doesn't know it because you've studied your opponent. You study the options that you have, and you use those to be able to back them in slowly into a corner where they have no, in their own minds. They don't know that you know, but in their minds, they, without looking stupid, the only answer they can give is the one you want.
1: Sound like to me you were putting together a defensive plan against McGregor. <laughs>
2: All <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got to be sneaky.
1: <laughs> All right, number 3. This is a good one. Get outside your comfort zone. Get outside your comfort zone. Guys, this is huge. We have self-limiting behaviors, self-limiting thoughts, self-limiting abilities that that were wired that way because of our upbringing, because of what we were told, because of our surroundings, because of whatever fill in the blank. But to do something great in business, in your job, when you're competing for whatever, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to do something that everyone else isn't doing. Ken, in football, I remember the, uh, one of the common things that our coaches would tell us uh, would be think about your competitors that you're going to be going against Friday night or Saturday, depending on your high school or college and ask yourself, are they working as hard as you? And it always pushed me to want to work harder, thinking there's nobody in their right mind (laughs) pushing themselves this hard, so that was gonna set me up to be successful out on the field. In the business world, it's the same way. People wonder, they think as an entrepreneur that I sit around and play golf all day. I mean, that's the, that's the assumption because I, I can be anywhere I want to at any given time because of the freedom I have of being a business owner and being an entrepreneur. But the bottom line is they don't see the times I get up early to work. They don't see the times I'm here You know, after my kids go to bed, that I go back at the grind. I'm constantly at the... The hustle. I'm at the grind making it happen, but I'm doing things that other people won't do. I'm working at 2 a.m. when I know my competitors out there in the marketplace are at home sleeping. That's what separates us. Separates winners from losers, people who have against people who do not have. You gotta have the hustle. The only way to do that is to do things that are not in your comfort zone because it's easy to do things that are comfortable. But go the extra step, the extra mile to do things that aren't comfortable. So Ken, what do you say about getting out of your comfort zone?
2: Well, I say that's that's great analogy and I love it. I'm going to come from a different direction because I believe being out of your comfort zone can be a choice or it can be a, a, not a choice. It's something that happened to you. And basically now all of a sudden you're put into an uncomfortable situation. Do you lay down and die or do you, you stand up and fight? And the thing I'm going to talk about is when I broke my neck when I was 17 years old, everything was going in my direction. I mean, I came from a bad place. All of a sudden my world looked really good. I mean, I had colleges I was going to go to, I was going to play football, I was going to wrestle. I had grades, you know, I mean, I had C average. I went from special ed into mainstream courses. I mean, it was like my world was on the up and I broke my neck, and all of a sudden, everything that I had worked for, all the struggles I went through were gone in a second, they were just disappeared, and so being in that position was something I have never experienced, I have always experienced, you know, being poor, eating food that I had to find, and you know, struggling in those areas, but never physically in a position to where I could not control my environment. I had a broken neck. I was not going to ever play contact sports again. And here I was facing this challenge, laying in a hospital bed. My father comes to me and says, you know, and this is when I'm laying in bed with a broken neck. He says to me, you know, you can, and I'm not going to, like just keep it short. It's basically what he said to me was like, Hey, you can lay there and powder. You can get up and do something about it. And it resonated with me. To this day, I still, still live by that. It's like, he's right. It's like, it is my choice. I have always been able to control my environment. This is no different. Yeah, I was starting from scratch. But this is an adversity that I, only I, can choose to overcome. And so from that point on, I hit the gyms. It hurt. I, I got myself physically fit, ate right, ran even in the halo, I was lifting um, weights very carefully. I tore the bolts in my head one, uh, two times, two different times, one in a fight and one playing basketball. Um, you know, So for me, yeah, it was there, right? It was there, but it wasn't going to deter me from getting back to where I wanted to be, back to where my comfort zone was. I was out of my element. I was out of my comfort zone. But I believed 100% without a shadow of a doubt that I could get back to my comfort zone.
1: Mm. Number four, surround yourself with winners. Now studies show that you will make between 10 to 15% of whatever your five closest friends make. So look at your five closest friends, find out what they make, and you're going to be within studies show, and the odds are you're going to be within 10 to 15% of what, where they're at. If your goal is to make a lot of money, your five closest friends need to be those individuals who make a lot of money. If your goal is to be the best fighter, your goal needs to be around the best fighters. I'll tell you this, surround yourself with winners is key because it's a mentality. When I'm around businessmen and women who are killers, I'm talking, these are individuals that eat and breathe business. They breathe they eat and breathe investment opportunities they they eat and breathe capitalism they eat and breathe taking a concept and monetizing it. Those individuals are ones that I gravitate towards and they are hard to find. I'm telling you, I wish they were easy. I wish there was a special Facebook for elite winners (laughs) in live that you could connect to. You have to look for them. You have to find them. When you do, you have to be proactive in connecting with those individuals, bridging gaps with them and bringing more value to them than what they bring to you. Let it be a camaraderie where you're equals, and I'm telling you, there's a secret, there's some sort of benefit that's hard to, it's hard to identify or to articulate, but there's something magical that happens when you are around winners. I'll tell you, Ken, I have had very little, oh, um, experience with celebrities until you and I started working together over three years ago. When that happened, you were the first celebrity that I was in regular contact with. And because we were working together, I now I have a, a portfolio. I mean, if people would see the names in my Rolodex on my phone, they would be shocked on people that I, nowadays, celebrities, A-listers, that I could call and they would pick up my number right now, or they'd pick up my call right now. And it's because of being... In that, because of being connected with you, it's shocking on what that has done to even my perception of business. Being around winners helps in some sort of deep, intrinsic way to help you flourish, unlike you would be able to do otherwise. So, Ken, what do you say about stranding yourself with winners?
2: Well, I I believe that because. I'm going to come from a different angle. When I was a kid, I was surrounded by juvenile delinquents. I mean, I was in juvenile hall. I was around kids in Napa that, that were either in juvenile hall, been in juvenile hall that had records. And so when you're walking with those people, you are that, you can't pull away from that. If one of those guys goes in and and gets into a fight and stabs somebody, and then you're walking with them, you were going down with them because you were there. So it, it is absolutely true. The people you surround yourself with is who you are. Not necessarily, you know, a hundred percent, but more than likely if something bad happens, you are a part of that group. You are going to be a part of that bad. So it is absolutely true. And I think the same thing goes for success. When you're, when you're around a bunch of people that are on their way up, it tends to, for people to look at you as being that same thing. And so you're rubbing shoulders with people that are being successful, and those people are rubbing shoulders with the people they're being successful with, and you're around them. You're rubbing shoulders with the same people, which gives you opportunity to be successful the same. So your, 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 your workbox now opens up hugely to a market that you wouldn't have if you didn't surround yourself with those people. You know, I remember um, I had a friend who was trying to pull himself – from that environment, right? So during the day, he would go to work. He was responsible. But at nighttime, his buddies would come over. They would go out in town and they would hang out. Well, cops come around and there had been a, a break-in. And they said there was about three or four guys with them that had broken into this place. Well, he was hanging around with them. There's probably about six guys there. They arrested all of them because they ID'd two of them. And because there was multiple people breaking into the place, they all went to jail. Now, he was saying, I I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was at home. Well, who who, who were you at home with? I was home with my girlfriend. Well, that's not an alibi, right? Because they're not going to take a girlfriend saying, yeah, he was with me all night. (laughs) So because you were around them, even though you were trying to change your world, one time you get caught, you get arrested, and you had a killer job. This job, he could have moved up and done a lot. He was wearing a suit and tie. He had a lot of opportunity. He was fired. He was fired because he got arrested. Mm. That's what can happen when you surround yourself with the wrong people. Your success can be ended in an instant because of the people you – right, wrong, or indifferent – because of the people you hang around with.
1: Last, not least – embrace the struggle. This one's going to be a quick one for me. Embrace the struggle. It's easier said than done. Embrace the struggle. You don't figure out mentally, psychologically, to if you don't figure out how to do that, to embrace the struggle, your chances of staying in the struggle diminishes a lot. But if you can embrace it, saying the struggle is part of the fun, the struggle is part of the experience. Whatever you need to tell yourself, embrace it. If you embrace the struggle, the other things line up. You're naturally going to be okay with being outside your comfort zone. If you're outside your comfort zone, chances are you're already surrounding yourself with people who are winners. And it all starts to build on itself. Embracing the struggle is something that you just have to make a decision to do. Ken, you say?
2: Yeah, you know, a lot of people use the phrase embrace the struggle. I use the phrase is love the struggle. The reason why I say that is because I look at struggle as as being successful. You can't have success without struggle. So if you love success, you've got to love the struggle. Because if you hate the struggle, like you said, that could be the deterrence of you being successful. Because when you hate something, it stays with you. And it, 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 it's like a lead weight. It doesn't allow you to be as free and as open and as strong as you can be. Um, when I talk about struggle, I talk about things like injury working through injury to be able to get back to where you need to be. I talk about struggle when you're just starting out and everybody is better than you and that you go on the mat, you're constantly getting your butt whooped, but you know, while you're doing it and you're working hard, you know that you're going to get better. So you're loving the struggle because you know, this is your, this is the journey you have to go through in order to be the best. So you embrace that, love that, understand that this is what it takes to be the best.
1: Good stuff. We're going to switch gears now, Ken. It has been a little while since we had a submission for the Lion's Cage. What is the Lion's Cage? The Lion's Cage is a segment. We took a page out of the Shark Tank's book saying, let's allow your fans my growing base of fans in the business world to submit their business opportunities, their business ideas, their products that they're developing, whatever it is in hopes to be featured here on the lion's cage, the segment here where we highlight, we talk about, and we give our personal opinions of a business or an idea. So, before we get into this submission, Ken, um, I want to—I want us <laughs> to extend an invite to anybody out there that would like to have your company, your idea, your product talked about on our show for, for the purpose of getting our opinion of it, okay? For that purpose, go to dangerouspodcast.com, dangerouspodcast.com dot com and all the information, the submission form and what we need from you is right there on the main page and it's easy to do. Before we get into that, Ken, anything you'd like to say?
2: No, I, I, I love this. It's an opportunity to hear people be able to talk about some of these business uh, ideas that they have. It's their creation and it really, really is an education for me to be able to see it as a, as a person who may even buy something like this, be able to look at it and go, okay, yeah, I don't like that part about it. I like that part about it. And understanding uh, now that we've gone a little bit farther and understanding, you know, we talk about cost ratio, you know, what the profit ratio is and all those things that combine and, and whether or not it's something I look at and go, okay, that could be usable. I'm that consumer. That's looking at this going, okay, I like this, but I don't like that. And being able to do that in the beginning stages of someone's idea, being able to get those kind of thoughts and ideas from an entrepreneur and a person who's just starting out as an entrepreneur, but basically more like a consumer. I think it's valuable to people who have these ideas because uh, instead of going ahead and throwing this thing out there and saying, I'm going to go ahead and put it on the market. And then all of a sudden you're getting hammered by people because you didn't go through this test market. Thing where you got people can go, yeah, you need to change that. You need to change this. You can do a little better on that. So for me, it's awesome to be able to help people who are coming up with these ideas and being able to, if it's a good one, then being able to help them launch it.
1: Mm-hmm. I come from it a little different angle. I look at it pragmatically on just the business opportunity as far as on how viable it is or might be in the marketplace in far as their structure is concerned on the business side of things. Okay, so the submission, and just so everyone knows, Ken does not know anything on what I'm getting ready to tell him. So this is coming fresh, and that makes this really, really fun. <laughs> All right, Here, here okay. it is. It's a... Music label. It's called Omni God. Omni God Music Label or Omni God Music. They have a website, weareomnigod.com. And it's owned by Stephen Made Sacred Williams. And he's the president of Omni God Music. And he's a veteran of hip hop. He reached out to us and submitted. A, his business. And his business is a, a new Christian record label company that also has a clothing line. Now, they're starting in or desiring to move also into the spaces of film, TV, radio, artist management, videography, photography, <laughs> discipleship, and mentoring. So, they, they've got their hands or they're moving into a lot of different areas. So, they're new, they're faith-based, they're edgy, they're all hip-hop, and I listen to their music and uh, some of the music they're producing, and it's, it's really good music. Now, I'm going to ask you, Ken, what questions do you have that I might be able to answer for you?
2: Well, first of all, the music business. Here's my first thought on it. What's the catch? What makes him different? Because In the music today, with all the stuff on TV, with talent finding and all the stuff out there, and all these different music labels, how do you get yourself with this kind of a label? How do do you compete with them?
1: Well, I'm going to do the best I can with the information that I've received from both Stephen, the the president, and also my own research. I think that Stephen would say what makes them significantly different is because they consider themselves their underlying motivation and move is ministry. So what they're doing with their music is they're producing professional level music for the purpose to help troubled youth. That's that's their goal. That's their direction. And that's what they're trying to do. And that's why they've incorporated their their mentoring program in part to first, their lead-in to that is to help beginning artists, struggling artists, find their way in this profession, but also help guide them in the right direction in, in hopes that they might, the people that they help might be able to help others.
2: Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it because now you can start focusing and even advertising that you're, you're it's more like a ministry, a music ministry where you're, you're reaching out and helping troubled youth be able to use their talents and their struggles through music to help other people.
1: They made some claims to me that they are, quote, the fastest growing Christian record label in the world. I could not quantify that. They also, um, they claimed, quote, some of our artists and artists uh, we are partnered with through sponsorships have been in movies, on TV, Netflix, in consideration for a Grammy award, and even hit the Billboard's top 50, In quote. Again, I haven't been able to quantify that. They have goals. There's two big goals that they have. They want to become the largest record label in the world within five years, and they've they want to become the largest movie and television production company in 10 years. Anything before I move on?
2: Yeah, I, I, I guess my question where I'm sitting right now is where, how does that, where, where would we fit in on that? How does that, how do we fit? Cause it seems to me like they're already got a plan. seems like they're already going in a direction. What are they looking for now Is they just trying to poke see what we can do to uh see what the direction is that they're going? What is it that we because it sounds to me like you don't have enough information to really, like you said, quantify what it is that they're doing and is it is it really doing?
1: Mm-hmm. So a little more information that I've been able to find on Steven is as he's he right now is writing a biography. It's called uh, A Breakthrough from Prison to President. And I'll explain that here. He calls himself a stupid young man <laughs> and back in the day. So in 2009, he was actually charged with murder in the death of his then-fiancé's father. He served two years in the pen and has um, since been released, but he, he's... We found the light there in prison. And since then, he has recorded three full-length albums. And he's in the process of writing two movies. And this is Steven, okay? And they're also working on a platform app, an app for music and film. And they have this mentoring program, which I already told you about. And they have this clothing line, uh, which you know we briefly mentioned. And they're also trying to launch a radio program. Network. So here are my findings. From my findings, I can't see that they've been incorporated yet. I don't even see that they have an LLC, let alone an S corp or a C corp. I don't see any mention anywhere where they have any sort of funding. And from they have told me that they virtually have no sales yet. They've been in business one to one and a half years. And in my opinion, they you know should be making revenue by this time. Their social media, they're out there on social media. It's small, but I think that they're personally on the right track. They're going in the right direction. Their website is decent. It's a decent website. They got a good platform they're using, but it just needs um, more professionalism brought to it. One thing that I found interesting is I found out that they have around 20 volunteers that support their team or to support um, their endeavors. Now, out of the 20, it looks like I can find about eight of them or so on their website. Don't hold me to that number, it could be more, it might be 10 that have pictures and um, their names and all, but that's a good sign. These are individuals that believe in the concept of what they're doing, they're kind of throwing their hat over the fence and helping out. So that's usually a good sign as far as the ecosystem on the, you know, internally, but, but Steve also does a lot of his own work, meaning that he does his own shoots. He does, you know, directs, he does all the editing of the, you know, all these music videos. So here are my thoughts on this, Ken. My thoughts are this. The company needs a well-thought-out business structure, and if they do have one, they need to be listing what their structure is. Are they, an incorpor- are they incorporated? Are they an LLC? What are they? Their logo needs to have that on there. If they, are, if they don't have that, they need to get it. But Stephen, I've had some communications with him. He comes across as being lofty in his vision and, and goals. And that's, there's both good and bad to that. You know, thinking big, I, I get that. That's You need to think big. You need to go beyond the comfort zone. We just talked about those things. But you don't want to be so lofty that it's unattainable, that they're too spread out. So I believe with they need more focus on their company direction. If they're a music label, Why are you getting into coaching? Why are you getting into um, radio? Why are you getting into videography and photography? They seem too fragmented for me. They seem like what they need to do is eat the elephant one bite at a time. In other words, master and dominate in the one area that they feel most confident in and be strong in that area first. Do that before they start taking on and trying to grab dominance in these other areas. So that's my thought on this company. Now the question is, with this, all this information. Let
2: me, let me, let me, okay. let me say one thing. With everything that you've said up to this point and what we, what we've, what we know, it seems like they're in that position where I was at when, when I was looking for somebody and I found you. It's almost like they don't have a theme. They don't have a concept or a direction. It seems like they've got this music. They've got, you know, the, the teaching. They, they, they've got the movie. I mean, they got all these things. But it's like they don't seem to have one thing that they're doing. And being that spread out of trying to do all these things without having a solid concept first, it sounds like that they're so scattered that they can't really pay enough attention to one thing. And they're all suffering.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's um, spot on. So let me wrap up the lion's cage with this. If you want to check out their website, weareomnigod.com. I think you'll like the website. And if you like hip hop, I'm telling you you're gonna love their music. I I personally I I was impressed by the caliber of music that they were producing. It's really good. And far as the business structure is concerned, I think there needs to be a lot of maturity to take place. And I think that there needs to be that plan in place and the right guidance. I think with the right guidance with the company to direct that passion and that vision that, um, yeah, with that sort of hustle on the inside, they could go places.
2: I'd love to see them obviously start moving and, and, and achieve their dreams because anytime that we can have more gospel out there and more more opportunity for people to be able to turn their lives over to Christ. I've, I'm all in. I'm, I love it. But right now, I just feel like if we were to step in, it would be almost like, okay, what is it that we're doing?
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Well, Ken, this is the time of the program. We wrap things up and you hook us up with a little story time with Ken. <laughs>
2: Yay! Everybody sit down and have some. Yeah, this one's a little PG-13. It does involve fighting. I'm going to go back to the old pank race days. I think it was probably my fourth or fifth fight. I can't remember which one it was. I was part of Fujiwara Gumi. It was the second organization. And I had fought Fujiwara, I don't know, probably my second match or something. And Uh, It was my third match, and he beat me. Uh, He was a great grappler, and it was a grappling match. And I remember he caught me with a leg lock. And uh, so it was probably – it was either the next fight or the fight after that. Fujiwara fought this guy by the name of Don Naka Nielsen. He was a former, or if not at the time, a Muay Thai champion at about 100, 185-pounder. He was about 6'1", tall guy. He was a Hawaiian. And so he goes in the ring and it's a mix. it's an MMA match. You know, you got the, the kickboxer against the grappler. And so Fujiwara was fighting him and Fujiwara caught two knees to the head in the corner and he went down and Don Nielsen knocked him out. Well, after he knocked him out, he kind of stood over him. He was mocking him. And then he did some press after that saying that, you know, these guys had, want to try to take down all that. They can't handle the punching and the knees and the kicks of Muay Thai. Muay Thai is the strongest style in the world. Anybody that fights me, I'll crush them. Well, (laughs) Fujiwara was embarrassed because he was the, he was, he was the guy. He was, it was the name, the company was named after him. So, you know, he, he had a reputation. People knew him. And I just was like, I mean, like I said, I was young, right? I only had three, four fights in me at this time. And so he comes to me, the, the office comes to me and goes, we want you to fight Don Naka-Nielsen. And I kind of like looked at him and I was like, okay, all right. Because in my mind, I had a great shot. I knew I could take the guy down. I was a wrestler. Fujiwara didn't have a very good shot. He was a great grappler, but he didn't shoot very well. And he didn't strike at all. So I was like, yeah, man, I get to defend the honor of, of our king? Absolutely, you know? And then I was excited about it, right? And so they, they were looking at me like, okay, you know, he's good. And I remember uh, Fanaki coming to me saying, hey, you know, these guys are dangerous. They got elbows and knees and they, their shins are really strong. They, you know, they can hurt you. And I said, I know, man. And so this was a lot of like – I remembered at this time I was thinking – I can't believe they came to me, like this was really when I felt like I became the guy. Like, They came to me wanting me to fight this guy after they just beat our king. Hmm. And I was, I, I was like, man, this is awesome and I remember training for it and in my mind, listen, I want you to think about this and this is what I think, if, if you don't have this, I'm not saying you can't be a world champion. But if you don't have this kind of mentality of being able to rise to a challenge that's going to put you where you need to be and being excited about having that challenge and not scared or worried that you're in over your head, if you think like that, don't get in the ring. I mean, literally, I was there going, ah, this is my opportunity to rise above everyone. And I remember we were in front of sixty to 70,000 people when I was going to fight this guy, I remember Takahashi fought another Muay Thai guy from the same camp. Takahashi was a guy I trained with. He was a little bit younger. He was an up and coming star. And I trained with him all the time. And he goes in and fights this Muay Thai guy. And the guy catches him with a couple shots and he eventually gets to the ground. And he beats him. But it, you know, he, it, he the, the guy did catch him with some shots. And so I've watching the fight and I was like, okay, it's going to be a good one. I never experienced a Muay Thai fighter before, not in this sense where it was a mixed martial arts match. So I remember prior to the fight, we were doing an interview and he told me he was going to put me in a hospital. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say to me because it's with me, it's, it's when someone, even as a young kid, when someone says something to me to insult me, right. I get angry. I get frustrated, very, 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 very angry. I start shaking, and I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to kill you. I mean, obviously, that's probably not the nicest thing in the world to say to somebody, but, but I didn't have control over my emotions at this time. And I remember shaking going to the ring that I had so much anger at this guy, and I wanted to just put him in the ground. And that was a wrong thing to say to me because when I get into that mode, that Ken Shamrock you can't be. Because the confidence that I have, the desire that I have to really put you into a harm's way goes way beyond that anything is normal in this world. And so when he did that, it set me in a whole other world. Because prior to that, I Mm. was like, okay, you know, he's going to kick, he's going to punch, I'll shoot on him, I'll take him down, I'll, I'll submit him. It went from me submitting him to me wanting to break him. (laughs) <laughs> and so the fight starts and all the things I remember was like the things he was saying to me, like these guys are amateurs. There are a bunch of guys rolling around. They're faggots. I mean, all these things were being wow. said by him because he beat Fujiwara. <laughs> and so there wasn't a thought in my mind walking into the ring that I was going to lose this fight. The only thing I thought in this, in this thing was that I wanted to make sure that he remembered me when this was over that there was nobody was going to say anything that it was lucky or that he could have gotten out of it or that he tapped and that he didn't tap, he was still ready to fight. I wanted to make sure when I went into this fight that there would be absolutely no doubt that I owned him. (laughs) So we go into the fight and I'm staring at this guy and before the fight ever happens, I beat him. I mean, I'm looking right at him and I'm so angry. I'm squeezing my fists and I'm looking at him. I'm just staring him down. I'm, gonna, I'm not I'm talking to him. I'm, I'm going to kill you. I am going to beat you down. I'm standing across the room saying this. And this is how angry I am. They bring us in. They tell us the rules. And I'm just staring at him saying, boy, this is the worst day of your life. <laughs> and when he, he, he goes back to his corner and I see this look on his face. Like, who is this guy? Like, this is just a guy that's one of their young boys. Because nobody knew me, right? Hmm. Fujiwara had all kinds of names, and this guy beat him. He thought they were throwing him a chump. So the bell rings. We circle around. I shoot on him. He grabs the rope first time. Boom. Get back up. I go back, and he kicks me. He actually hits me with a leg kick, right? And he thinks, ah. So he stares at me. He gets a little more confident. And I looked at him and just smiled like, you kidding me? That's all you got? (laughs) So we go back out the ring, and I shoot on him. I spin between me and him and the ropes, and I take him down. So he's trying to reach the ropes because there's no ropes. I jump on top of him. I grab his arm, right? He's got boxing gloves on. And I break his arm. I mean, I turn that thing over. And the funny thing is, listen to this. He had no idea he had to tap. Like, he's trying to hit me with his (laughs) gloves, right? Right. But he's tapping. He's tapping. But it looks like he's hitting me with his gloves. <laughs> so, oh, yes. so the referee that's a kickboxing referee has no idea that he's tapping me. He, he thinks he's hitting me with the gloves like kidney shots to my back, but he's tapping. And so I snap, snap his arm and he screams, oh! Oh! I'm tapping, I'm tapping. <laughs> <laughs> the referee steps down, breaks the fight. I was stood up and I go, That's what I'm talking about. I owe you. <laughs> <laughs> <That's a joke. laughs> there was, and even with the interviews, there's nothing he could say like, Oh, he got lucky, or I didn't tap, or I wasn't this. They had to put him in a cast, dude, and he screamed. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a good one. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Guys, you can find us on Twitter at Dangerous Pods. Instagram at Dangerous Podcasts and Facebook at Dangerous Podcasts. But the website, if you can't remember any of those, just go to the website, DangerousPodcasts.com. Catch you guys later. Peace.
0: You made it through the world's most dangerous podcast. Find them at dangerouspodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Always remember, sharing is caring. DangerousPodcast.com. Broke's Most Dangerous Podcast can be found on social media. For business proposals to dangerouspodcast.com.